Well, good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. Uh, we're coming to you over EWTN Radio, and we're broadcasting from the Coming Home Network International offices near Zanesville, Ohio. And uh, I do welcome you to the program. Each week I invite to join me on this program uh, a friend who, uh, who's a, a follower of Jesus Christ and has a special verse they want to talk about. We're, our theme for this coming year are verses that inspired our guests to follow Christ more deeply and often uh, to, in fact, choose a vocation dedicated to serving Christ. Uh, this theme of this coming year is the theme of priesthood, but we're looking at verses that inspire our guests uh, some of them are not priests, but to look at different ways in which Christ has inspired them to follow Christ. Those of you who follow the Deep in Scripture program, we, of course, are connected to a website, deepinscripture.com, where you can look at the picture of our guest for tonight's program. And I'm joined by a good friend, Stephen Ray. And if you go to the website, you'll see one of Steve's fa favorite pictures, he is known, uh, particularly over the last 10 years or so, for doing some wonderful videos for Ignatius Press in which Steve goes to the, uh, to the Holy Land and films uh, documentaries on different aspects of Scripture and, and biblical history. And, uh, and so you'll see his picture. He has his Indiana Jones look. Well, I, think, I think Indiana stole it from Steve. Uh, now, he, he chose for his text for this program, John chapter 3. He'd love to look at the entire chapter, but of course we can't do that on one program. So we're looking at John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, verses 14 through 16, and verse 36. I'll read those in a moment. But also if you go to the website, besides seeing Steve's bio and all the different ways in which the Lord has opened doors for him to serve, you'll be able to uh, click on a link so you can watch this program live on the Internet if you'd like to do that. Steve is a convert to the Catholic Church. He's the author of several books and as well as the host of the documentaries I've mentioned. He's been involved in many different ways with uh, the faith. You'll see all of these listed on the website. But I do want to mention one particular book that uh, was crucial as an explanation of his own journey of faith, and that's Steve Ray's book, Upon This Rock, in which he addresses the theme of St. Peter and the primacy of Rome in Scripture and the early church. And this book describes in many ways the, the uh, theme of his own journey of faith into the Catholic Church. Strongly recommend that book. In fact, this last month, it was the, one of the theme books that we offered here in the Coming Home Network uh, as uh, our special book for the month. If you'd like to give us a call with a question or comment, I encourage you to do that, 1-800-664-5110 or 740-450-1175, or you can send me an email anytime at marcus at deepinscripture.com. Now, there are lots of verses of Scripture that are very commonly known. Some verses almost everybody knows. Probably the most well-known verse is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Why is it the most well-known? Well, almost anybody that picks up the Bible for the first time, where do I begin? Where well, you begin at the beginning. So 
everybody at least reads uh, John or Genesis 1.1, whether they get beyond that or very far into the Bible at all. They've heard, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are other verses that are very common. The verse we're going to look at this evening, John 3, particularly John 3.16, is one of those verses that a majority of Christians at least knows. It's one of those verses that, whether you're Christian or not, you've seen portrayed on a placard at many football games. You may have seen the man with the multicolored wig holding up a sign, JN316. Why is he doing that? Well, he's hoping that someone watching that football program on television will open a Bible and turn to John 3.16. And often the presumption is that all one needs to do is to read this verse, and then the Holy Spirit will open their heart and mind to believe what that verse says, and then they'll be saved. And, and of course, God can do that. All things are possible with God. The problem, though, is that like so many verses that seem to stand alone, when taken out of their context, they can be used to say more than they're intended or maybe less than what was originally intended by the original author. John 3.16 is one of those verses. Let me read that. You've heard this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And as a Catholic, I strongly affirm what that verse says. As Catholics, we believe that very thing, that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that's what the church teaches, preaches, and tries to live by grace. The problem with that verse, though, is that it doesn't say very much more. In other words, it doesn't theologically define who the Son is, or who God is, which God. It doesn't define the Trinity. It doesn't mention church. It doesn't mention sacraments. It doesn't mention anything moral or ethical. And so the danger of taking a verse like that out of context is that sometimes people will believe that verse and then use it as the foundation for what they believe apart from anything else, any church teaching, anything else in Scripture, anything else even in the context of John chapter 3 or John chapter 2 or John chapter 4. So as long as that verse is understood within the context of the rest of John chapter 3, the rest of the Gospel of John, the rest of the New Testament, the entire Bible, and in fact the entire sacred tradition that's given to us by the church, then we can make sure that our interpretation of John chapter 3 verse 16 is correct. The danger of John chapter 3 verse 16 taken out of context is that often it seems to imply that all that's necessary is our relationship with Jesus. We don't need a church don't need doctrines, don't need sacraments. But that's not what's portrayed in the entire context of sacred tradition. And that's why on our program, we make sure that when we're looking at Scripture, we look at it in the complete context, which I have no doubt Steve Ray will do. Now, in a moment, Steve will join us, but let me take this time to read this passage in part of the context. The only reason we're not reading at all is just because of the limitations of the program, but we'll do all we can to make sure we interpret it in the light of the entire context 
of our Catholic faith. I'll begin reading with John chapter 3, verse 3, then through 5, then I'll read 14 through 16, and then verse 36. We'll take a break, and then Steve Ray will join us. This is the Apostle John writing, relating the incident of Jesus when he's met in the in the evening by the Pharisee Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus, as John describes, by night. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then down to verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing me on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Mark your calendars and pack your bags. The Global Catholic Network is bringing you another EWTN family celebration. On August 8th and 9th, we'll be in Birmingham, Alabama, celebrating this year's theme, Rejoice in Hope. Join some of our most popular hosts, Marcus Grodi, Raymond Arroyo, Barbara McWigan, Father Wade Menezes, The Donut Man, and more. We'll have inspirational talks, Holy Mass, Family Corner, a kid's concert by The Donut Man, and a live taping of a special Crossing the Goal with Danny Abramowitz. For more information on this free event, log on to EWTN.com or call 205-271-2989. The EWTN Family Celebration, August 8th and 9th in Birmingham, Alabama. We'll see you there. Here's that number again for more information, 205-271-2989, or log on to EWTN.com. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. I'm joined by Steve Ray. Hello, Steve. Hello, Marcus. Thank you for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you join us on Deep in Scripture. I'm always happy to be here. I think this is my third or fourth time. I love all the work that you do, and I love especially this program. Well, I appreciate that. I asked you to uh, choose a verse that you particularly liked as an inspiration to your own calling uh, to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, You chose John 3. Why did you do that? Well, you know, I was born and raised a Baptist, and from the very beginning of my life, certain passages had a big impact on me not only on, uh, on be, wanting to be saved and go to heaven, but on it compelling me to go out and serve the Lord. And I was going to say, Steve, that if growing up a Baptist, I, you, you could hardly exist as a Baptist and not have heard John 3.16. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> the reason that I think that this 
verse resonates so much with me is, is I'm not an anti-Protestant now that I have become a Catholic. In fact, I look back on my Baptist upbringing as a wonderful nursemaid to bring me all the way to the fullness of the faith. And I remember at four years old, kneeling in front of the green vinyl couch in our living room with my mother as she coached me to pray the sinner's prayer. And it was based on a verse of the Bible, John 3.16. And I remember getting paid 50 cents to learn this verse. My mom was very smart. She paid us kids 50 cents or a dollar to memorize passages of Scripture, which was a very wise thing to do because it, you know, I didn't realize the value of that at the time. But I remember learning John 3.16, and uh, part of the verse always was we didn't start out for God so loved the world. We always started out John 3.16, for God so loved the world, so that we'd always be able to find it in the Bible later on. And I remember kneeling with my mom in the, at the green vinyl couch. I can still remember the smell of it even, as she coached me through the sinner's prayer, asking Jesus to come into my heart and accept him as my Lord and Savior and admit my sin and so on. And I always had a tender heart for God. Ever since I was young, I remember having a tender conscience and a tender heart towards God. And it didn't take much for him to poke me, you know. Um, Sometimes they talk about the hound of heaven, how he chases people through their whole life before they finally come to him. But this was not the case with me. I had a very tender heart for God from the very beginning. He never had to chase me much. And I remember this verse is the one that I memorized as a little boy, and it's the one that came back to my life over and over again, and it's the one that I heard on television and the radio, and my mom always had on Billy Graham and his crusades and Chuck Barrows singing, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, But That Thy Blood Was Shed For Me. And this verse has been pivotal for my whole life, from the time I can remember the first memories that I have, uh, until this very day, as now I'm a Catholic and I love the scriptures even more, never would I have dreamed that a passage like this would be so rich and so deep as it is for me now. So that's why I picked this one. And the one above it, a few verses that's tied into it, is you must be born again, and that you don't see the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and spirit. And that verse always meant a lot to me, but it also has so much more meaning now And then the last verse that you read, verse 36, which closes out the chapter 3 of John, it was really important to me because it tied the whole thing together. It wasn't just believing, but it was obeying. Because the opposite of the word believe is not to disbelieve. But Jesus tells us that the opposite of the word believe is to disobey. Mm -hmm. And so these three passages all together have shaped my life, have made me want to follow Christ, and have made me... Uh, a propagandist in a way. I can't keep my mouth quiet about it. I have to tell it to everybody else, too. Well, you heard the uh, introduction that I gave, Steve, and I, I know when I look back, when I was a Protestant minister, uh, and the audience, if, you, if you're joining us for the first time, my background is that I was brought up Protestant, brought up Lutheran, actually, and then later had an adult awakening in my 20s, and then eventually went to seminary and served as a Presbyterian pastor for about nine years or so. And one thing that's interesting that I think about this passage, Steve, is it's it, it's one of the passages that, to me, so clearly expresses the dangers of sola scriptura. And not in any way to denigrate the passage, because, as I mentioned, you know, uh, it truly expresses expresses as a Catholic our view 
of the need for evangelization and, and for all of us to surrender to Jesus Christ. There's no question. But I'm not sure if this is true for you, but what I noticed is, as a Protestant, I looked at this passage and presumed that it needed no further explanation because what I was blind to is that as a child, I approached this passage with the presumption of my Lutheran background. And so when I read verse 16, I didn't see in this passage the narrowness in which it can be interpreted because I was looking at it with the presumption of my Lutheranism. And I saw all that I believed as a Lutheran. I knew Luther's catechism. And then I read this verse and said, yeah, it's all there. Later, as a Presbyterian, I read this and I saw Calvinism expressed here. You were a Baptist. And you probably read John 3.16 and just kind of presumed as the background the tradition in which you were brought up. But what I also noticed is that when I, I did some work for the Billy Graham crusade when it was in Buffalo, that we presumed that people would, the very first time that they would come forward and, and they would, like as you mentioned, they would have heard Billy Graham and then they would accept this passage as kind of the theme for them surrendering their life to Christ. But the Billy Graham Association very clearly said up in front they didn't want to pull anyone from their previous traditions. But underlying that is this presumption that all that's really necessary is what's in this passage. Yep. Now, this passage says a lot, but there's a lot it does not say. And therefore, it can be used to say a lot of things. Is yep. baptism necessary, for example? And to me, knowing your background, that this passage can be used as well as the earlier verses in John 3 that we read to imply that baptism is not a necessary part of this journey of faith. Yep. But in fact, that's not what the context teaches. Nope. Yeah, the, the passages, uh, one of the problems that we have with a passage like this is today, we have this great convenience of having chapters and verses in our Bibles. You can go to John chapter 3, verse 16. That's how we find it. But up until, you know, for the first thousand years, that wasn't the case. When Augustine or Aquinas or Clement of Rome or any of the early Christians would read John, they read it as a as constant text, as a letter, without any numbers dividing it up. And so you were forced to read it within the context. But today we have the great convenience of chapters and verses, but they also work to our disadvantage because many times we view the Bible as these uh, wonderful little sound bites that we can just extract from the text, John 3.16. That's how I learned it. I didn't learn it in the context of the book of John, nor in the context of this whole chapter. I learned this one clever little statement, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that was it. It was this little statement that I could pull out of the context, and I could quote. The, the, that's a convenient thing, but it's a danger, too, because then you don't have the whole flow of the story. It's like taking chapter 22 out of Gone with the Wind and not reading all 100 chapters, and it's, it's a dangerous thing. And I agree with you as well, because I always used to say as a Baptist when I'd read a passage like this that I don't have a tradition. I have the Bible alone. I let the Bible speak for itself. I don't have a tradition that I use to interpret the Bible. And yet that wasn't true, because I learned my Baptist tradition from my mother's milk. I learned what this verse meant before I could ever read it for myself. It's like when I was born, I was given a pair of Baptist glasses, 
And I saw through the rest of my life, everything I looked at, I saw through the lens of these Baptist glasses. And if you wear red glasses, the world looks red. And if you wear blue lens glasses, the world looks blue. And if you wear Baptist glasses, the world looks Baptist, just like you were born with a pair of Lutheran glasses, so the world looked Lutheran. And when you come to a verse like this, you don't read it objectively. You don't read it without a preconceived idea or a bias. You come to this passage and you read it through the lens of your tradition, the sunglasses you're wearing, and mine happen to be Baptist. Just like you said, everybody reads it for themselves in context of their own tradition or their own beliefs. And that's exactly why uh, I believed it in a certain way. And this, this verse has had levels of meaning to me as I grew up, because I remember at first I was just concerned about this verse to please my parents. I learned this verse to make my mother happy and to get 50 cents. But then later, when I got a little older, this verse meant something to me because it told me that I was going to go to hell. didn't tell me that, but it told me that I wouldn't perish. And the way it was interpreted to me is if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. So then the meaning of this verse became a deeper thing that I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. So I better believe in Jesus. And as I grew up, the the verse got deeper and deeper to uh, meaning to me until I finally became a Catholic and I put on my new pair of glasses, which are very special, Marcus. These glasses I wear now have a Jewish lens and a Catholic lens. So when I look at Scripture now, I see it from the Judeo-Christian Catholic perspective, and it all comes into focus now. Well, I, I aimed this off into a direction in our study, uh, but I wanted, Steve, for you to kind of guide us. There's so much that we can discuss in these passages, um, but with the theme of, of how this verse uh, you know, encouraged you in your surrender to Jesus Christ and to serve him, what aspects do you want to focus on in this passage? Well, uh, let me start with, uh, I told already about praying with my mom when I was four, and you had asked me to bring a a verse or a passage Mm -hmm. of Scripture that caused me to want to follow Christ, that wanted me, uh, in in the year of the priest, we're all, uh, through baptism, we're priests too. The the laity are are also, on, on a different level, priests before God and called to serve him through our baptism. And this verse... I have to say, has always shaped my life and given me a great desire to follow Christ. And I remember um, I mentioned praying with my mom and wanting to please her and memorizing it and then not wanting to go to hell but wanting to go to heaven. But I remember again when I was about 17 years old and on the radio was Billy Graham and he was talking and uh, about this verse and giving this at the end, an altar call over the air, you know, on the radio. And for me at that day, the altar was my driveway. And I remember walking out the driveway, and I was 17 years old, and I had kind of rebelled against my parents and Christianity. But after hearing Billy Graham preaching about John 3:16, that God loved me so much, and it made the point that not just the world, but he, that I could put my name in there, for God so loved Steve Ray. And that because he loved me, he gave his only son so that I could inherit heaven and and have eternal life and not perish. And I remember walking out our driveway, and it was, we had a long country driveway, and I looked up at the stars at night, and I said, Jesus, I'm going to give my life to you, and I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, and I want to tell other people about this too. 
And so I am going to give my life to you, and from this point on, I'm going to be a Christian, and I am going to be an evangelist, and I am going to love you, and I may not be your best servant, but I am going to be a loyal servant, the best to my ability. And then that verse took on that meaning to me, that I was not only saved, but had to go out and help others get saved, and that shaped my life. And nothing changed from that point on. I am still following that commitment that I made to Jesus that day based on this passage of Scripture, that I was going to tell the world about Jesus saving us and making a way for our salvation, and that nothing else was more important than finding out about how to miss hell and to gain heaven. So this verse, along with the ones above about being born again, became very crucial in my own um, my own Christian life and commitment to Jesus Christ. It was a turning point, but also in causing me to follow him with my whole life and to dedicate my life to being an evangelist. And now, even as a Catholic, I consider myself more that than I ever did before. We're going to take a break, but Steve, when we come back, what I'd like to do uh, to place on your plate for our discussion in the three sections of Scripture from chapter 3 that you chose, um, there are uh, common themes. And if you would, when you get back, would you address this common theme? In verse 3, he says, uh, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This idea of seeing the kingdom. Verse 13, you'll not perish but have eternal life way in verse 36 he who believes in him has eternal life so we see this this common theme the kingdom of god and eternal life when we get back talk about that okay um and also point out the fact that again we have a lot of views on what this means so we'll, we'll catch you when we get back after the break okay you're listening to deep in scripture this is your host marcus grody i'm joined this evening by Stephen ray and you're hearing us on ewtn your global catholic radio network Next time on Sunday Night Live with Father Benedict Groeschel. You've got questions, Father's got answers. Join Father Benedict as he opens up the EWTN mailbag and gives answer to the many questions you have about the faith. That's on the next Sunday Night Live, only on EWTN. Sunday Night Live is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you too will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host. I'm joined this evening by Stephen Ray. Before I bring you back, Steve, I want to make a really exciting announcement uh, for our listeners there's exciting news. Last Thursday, EWTN satellite radio partner Sirius XM 
announced that the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network is now available on the iPhone and iPod Touch to Sirius XM subscribers. Subscribers can download the new app. If you're an iPhone or iPod uh, user, you know what I'm talking about. You can download the app by going to the Sirius or XM websites or to the iTunes online app store on the web or their iPhone or iPod Touch. All U.S. satellite radio subscribers may use an iPhone, iPod Touch to listen to Sirius XM live streams, including EWTN radio, anywhere in the world that the 3G Edge or Wi-Fi service is available. Now, this is exciting. It's amazing. Every week, the technology keeps advancing. We've got to make sure that we're using it for its intended purpose. These are gifts from God, but we also know that the enemy wants to jump in there as fast as we can. So, Stephen, that's why we're doing the radio, right? So we can use the, the gifts that God has given us for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Absolutely, and that's good news about the iPhone, because I love my iPhone, and I'm <laughs> going to uh, get this set up as soon as we get off here and make sure that I can uh, listen to all of this on my iPhone. Yeah, I do, too. I haven't, I haven't gotten the app yet, but I'm excited to give it a try. Yeah, me, too. The technology, just for a quick notice, I, I think in, even in a case like this, we're probably speaking with more people right now than maybe St. Paul talked to in his whole life. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's a great honor. It's also a great responsibility, and I appreciate EWTN allowing you and I to uh, uh, to, to get on Amen. this as, as if we're worthy, and we certainly aren't, but uh, we also appreciate all the listeners that have joined us. That's right. Now, I mentioned before the break, there's this, uh, at least I presume it's a common theme, the seeing of the kingdom of God, this having eternal life. In fact, he says in verse 36, not... Not only that's something we will have, but it's something that we have. Yeah. Talk to us about that a bit. Yeah, this whole passage is referring to the kingdom of God and how do we get into it. And the Nicodemus is kind of locked into the kingdom of God as he saw in Israel at the time. And Jesus is saying, you know something, Nicodemus, I'm, I'm going to open your eyes a little here if you're willing to listen, is that the kingdom of God is bigger than the geographical bounds of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, and it's going to be open for everybody. But in order to get in there, you have to be born into it. You can't just uh, say that I'm a son of Abraham and I live in Israel, therefore I'm part of the kingdom of God. But there's something new being started here, Nicodemus, and it's surprising that you don't know these things. He even says you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. You should know these things. And he says that this is a new kingdom that I'm starting. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It's not of this earth. And in order to get into it, just like to become a son of Abraham, you have to be born through the loins of Abraham. Guess what? In order to become a kingdom in this new kingdom of God, you have to be born into it. You have to come from above. And so this passage is explaining how do you get from just an earthly life into this new spiritual kingdom? How do you become born again to be a king's kid? And I like to refer to it that way, as a king's kid. You're being born into a royal family. How do you do it? Well, he starts out by saying, this new birth comes about by water and spirit. And that's what you have to do to come into the kingdom of God. And the, the, the understanding, we could talk for a whole hour easy yeah. on this, and um, the whole idea of water and spirit refers to water baptism. This was the universal teaching of the early church. Nobody questioned the fact that this water and spirit, the means to becoming born again into this new kingdom, is water baptism. The fathers of the church, the very first Christians, all the way through the first 1,500 years, nobody challenged it until Martin Luther and those others who followed him started to challenge a lot of the things. 
that were taught by the church. But this water and spirit is water baptism, the way you get into the church. Now, I was never taught this as a Baptist. I was never taught. Baptism meant nothing. It did nothing. It wasn't important. It was an optional thing that you did if you wanted to, but you didn't have to do it. And I know you as a Lutheran and a Presbyterian that it was important, but not not to the degree it is for a Catholic. It's right. It still had different, again, uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, yeah. and Catholic, there's four different perspectives on the meaning of baptism. Yes, I married a Presbyterian girl, and she had a certificate of her infant baptism, and I was aghast. You <laughs> mean you're baptized as an infant like a Catholic? I mean, this shocking. But I was only baptized as a teenager, but they would let me know that it didn't mean anything. When my kids got baptized in the Baptist Church, I made them write a four-page little paper for me to prove that baptism didn't do anything. It was only a witness to the world that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. So the tradition that you grow up with influences the way you read these passages. But then when I realized water and spirit is the way God brings about new things. He starts all new things with water and spirit, the beginning of the universe. He says that God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and water covered the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. So the whole first creation begins with the waters and the spirit. And then you have Noah, and then God is starting a whole new humanity, and how does he do it? He does it through the waters of the flood, and above is a white dove representing the Holy Spirit over the ark. Water and spirit and a new humanity comes from this. And then the children of Israel come out of Egypt. How? Through the waters of the Red Sea, and above them is the Holy Spirit and a cloud of fire. This is water and spirit bringing about the new thing of the nation of Israel. And then Jesus, he's telling us now that there's going to be this new kingdom of God that comes about by water and spirit again, and then he goes down into the Jordan River to show us what it's all about. He goes into the water, and the spirit comes down. This isn't rocket science, you know. This is very simple stuff. And he says to Nicodemus, why don't you understand this? You're a doctor of the law, the teacher of Israel. Why don't you understand what I'm talking about? So this passage, to me, was so important, not only in my before my Catholic days, that I had to be born again, and I didn't understand what it meant, but I still wanted to do it. Then when I became a Catholic, I understood in all its depth of what it meant. Now I was being born as a king's kid into a new kingdom, and it was through water baptism, water. I came out of the birth of the water, and I was raised up with Christ in his resurrection. Then I came down to the second passage in 14, 15, and 16, and it seems that this is a different way to become part of the kingdom of God, not by water baptism or by being born again, but just simply by believing. But it's not a contradiction at all. It's a further explanation within the context of how one is born again and through this baptism, but it also requires that I believe that I take Jesus Christ as my own. Baptism and the Holy Spirit and my believing and accepting him, all of these things that the Catholic Church has taught for 2,000 years are all wrapped up and combined, and they're all there if you don't take these verses out of context, but you leave them in the context and read it as a whole. So here it says that I have to believe in Christ. How do I believe in Christ, and what does that word mean? I had somebody ask me, Steve, if you were, if I was dying on the side of the road and I only had a minute left to live, and I asked you, how do I get saved and go to heaven? How would you explain your complex, complicated Catholic gospel about going to Mass and confession to priests and repentance and all of these things? How could you explain it to me so I could get to heaven in one minute? 
I said, very simple. I would quote to you John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. This is the gospel in a nutshell. But if I find out you've got an hour left to live, then I'd say, oh, then let's sit down and discuss what the word believe means. It's a very pregnant word. The last verse that we're talking about is verse 36. That's why I wanted to add that verse into this discussion as well, because that verse tells me that believing is not all that it takes, like a mental assent. Two plus two is four. Jesus is the Son of God. I'll believe in him too. But it says that the opposite of the word of believe is to disobey. Now, I would think that the opposite of the word believe is to not believe. To doubt. Or to doubt, like question. Right. But Jesus says that the opposite of the word believe is to disobey. So that means that within the word believe must also be wrapped integrally in that word the concept of believe and to obey. So I have to obey. So here I am now looking at this verse, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. First of all, I realize he didn't, it's not just that God so loved Steve Ray, but he loved his whole creation. And when his creation man and woman, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. What happened is the whole earth was cursed because of their sin. Not only were Adam and Eve affected by the sin, and not did they die spiritually, but the whole earth, the dirt, the soil, the face of the earth was cursed as well. And it says, for God so loved the cosmos. He loved the whole thing that he created. Not just me, but the whole thing. He loved all of it that he gave his only begotten son. So I realized this was much bigger than just me and Jesus. Yeah, the, the, the illustration that you give that seems to imply that there's a condensed gospel and then a more full gospel, depending on whether I got a minute to tell it to you or an hour or days. Um, the, the, it's true, but the, the reason that that plays itself off especially amongst evangelicals, is this underlying idea, which I'm almost positive you believe as a Baptist, of once saved, always saved. Oh, absolutely. And it, it grew with uh, Martin Luther's idea of uh, total depravity uh, and um, uh, the uh, inability of our will, which has been so tainted by original sin that we cannot do anything on our own, which was even amplified more in the teachings of John Calvin and the Calvinists, eventually leading this idea that if there's nothing I can do to win God's acceptance, there's also nothing I can do to lose it. In other words, that I'm totally saved by grace. And so what that does is it immediately reduces the gospel to this instantaneous, uh, minute gospel, as you were mentioning, because no matter where you are, even if you got a hundred years to live, that by accepting Jesus now at this moment, then you have eternal life, as these passages imply, in such a way that no matter what you can ever do again, you can't lose it, because once you have accepted and believed in Jesus, you have it. That was the way I was raised. In fact, I have a relative who accepted Christ as his Savior at one point in his life, and then a year later rejected it. And my mother considered him still to be saved because he had accepted Christ as his Savior. I had another relative who was a Catholic who went to Mass every day in confession and prayed the rosary, but because he was Catholic, he was going to hell because he had never accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. This is how skewed my uh, yep. upbringing was. Now, I understand it. 
and why it was taught that way. But you're right, this verse was given to me as a Baptist boy growing up, that if I did accept this Jesus, and I and here in this context that I believed in him, that there was no works that I could do. There was nothing I could add to it. I only had to believe. It was by faith alone. There was no works involved. And yet I realized as I grew up, though, that even the word believe is a verb, which means that I have to do something. I do have to do something. It's not just Christ. He did all the work for me from my Baptist perspective, but even then I still had to do something. I had to believe. I had to exercise faith. I had to receive the gift. And so once I would do that, then supposedly, as you said, I would have eternal security. There's nothing that I could do to lose that. However, when I began to study this passage of John 3.16, I realized that the word believe was not in the Greek, which is the original languages. The Greek was not a one-point-in-time verb, meaning that only at one point in time I believe, therefore from that point on there's nothing I could do to lose it, but that the Greek word was was in the perfect tense, and I'm trying to make this simple without getting complicated, is in the perfect tense, which means that it could be read if you are habitually believing in me, if you are believing in me right now, then you will be having eternal life. This is something that I have to continue to do. I have to continue to believe in him. I have to continue to exercise this faith. I have to continue to live in Christ. And as John says later, I have to continue to abide in him like a vine does on the branch. It's not just that at one point in time I kneel down and pray and ask Jesus to be my Savior, and now I have once saved, always saved, eternal security, I can't lose it. No, 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 even this verse here, John 3.16, says it in the Greek, when you would read it, the implication is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever is believing in him will be having eternal life and will not perish. So it's a matter of I have to continue to be believing and continue to do this. And in fact, at that last verse, verse 36, it says that if I disobey, that I will not have that life. So this is, these are very complex. And like you said, it's very simple on one side. I always say that it's, the gospel is simple enough for a mouse to wade in, but it's profound and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Again, uh, the danger of verses like this taken out of context, even out of the context of the moment in which Jesus is saying this to another Jew, uh, there's expectations on their obedience of, of of the practices of their faith that he Jesus in here saying in this context that anything else that Nicodemus is expected to do as a Jew are all of a sudden just thrown out we know in many cases when Jesus heals a person the first thing he tells them to do is to go to the priest and to fulfill the vows that they have made yeah in, in no more in Mark chapter 10 when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and basically says, what must I do to have eternal life? So he's asking them almost the same question that Nicodemus is asking here. The first thing that Jesus says is, obey the commandments. Right. Obedience. And then when the, the man says, well, I've, I've done that, in other words, he's tried to live by grace a faithful life, Jesus says, well, there's something else which has to do with uh, the surrender to Jesus Christ. But you know, again, the context is significant. Steve, let's take another break. When we come back, I want to uh, encourage you to talk in an, a very uh, practical way on for our audience uh, and what should they take from these passages, especially if they've you know, been drawn to see this verse in limited ways. 
What should this mean for them in the wider context of the church? You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, joined this evening by Stephen Ray. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. I'm joined this evening by Stephen Ray. We're looking at John chapter 3. Stephen, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. Um, okay, let's say we have, for our listeners, what ought they to do in obedience to John 3.16? And I guess I'm focusing specifically on a more fuller, a more true, a more balanced understanding of believing. What ought they to do? I, I think that what we need to do is realize that believe is a pregnant word. And I, what I mean by that is there's a lot wrapped up in that word. It's like shorthand. Um, you know, we talked a little bit ago about computers and, and the iPhone and so on. And, and what happens in computers is you have a zip file where you pack a lot of information into one file so that you can easily transport it. And then at the other end, it has to be unpacked or unzipped. And all of that information comes pouring out of that one zipped file. And this word believe is very similar to that. It's like shorthand for a lot of things, but it's like a zip file. And we have to take a look at that word and say, in the context, and we've talked a lot about context today, that you just can't take these verses out of context and, and, and make of them what you want. But you have to read it in the context of what John is writing about in this whole gospel. You have to read it in context of the Jewish culture in which Jesus is speaking to. And we have to read it in the, in the uh, context of the tradition of the church, which is where it was born, out of the church. And so we have to read that and understand that word believe. We can't be simplistic about it and think it just means the same as saying, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God the same way I believe that 2 plus 2 is 4. There is that element to it. But what we need to do as Christians and as Catholics is to take that word believe and understand it in its fullness and that Jesus is demanding of us a lot in this word. He's demanding not only that we believe with our mind, but we believe with our heart, that we obey because the opposite of believe is to disobey, and that we have to follow all that he has given to us, not just to believe alone in, this, in a simplistic way, but to believe in the pregnant way with all that the word means. I like to tell people that the word believe is like a hot dog. If you go up to a re- and you go to a restaurant and say to the waitress, I'd like to have a hot dog, and she brings a 
frozen hot dog and drops it on the table, you're going to say, what is wrong with you? Why did you bring a frozen hot dog and drop it on the table in front of me? She says, you asked for a hot dog. You got a hot dog. What's the problem? But you say, I thought I'd get a dish and a bun and ketchup and mustard and chips and a phone and a spork and a spoon and fork and a Coke and all you brought me was a frozen hot dog. She says, you didn't ask me for a plate and chips and a fork and a bun. You asked me for a hot dog and that's what I got you. So why are you complaining? In a way, believe is like a hot dog because it is cultural literacy. When you go in and ask for a hot dog, the, the, the server knows that you mean all of those other things as well. And Jesus, when he says, believe on me, whoever believes, assumes that his listener also is culturally literate and knows that the word believe also means to obey and to repent and to be baptized because this word implies all of those things. It means something that you do. Believing is a verb. It's something we have to do before God, not just something we sit down and not do. Believe is something we do, and it means that we encompass all of the things that Jesus commands. That's the beauty of Catholic theology and understanding the Bible in the context, because it doesn't set up a dichotomy between, well, do I believe or do I work? Is my salvation by works or repentance or by believing? No, it's bully- It's all of these things, because the word believe means all of these things. In fact, let me draw uh, you know, a parallel with this, with a verse that... Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. It's a, one that I quote often on this program, as well as the Journey Home program. It's, the, to me, the verse that first opened my eyes to the Catholic Church. Um, the verse was drawn to my attention by a good friend, Dr. Scott Hahn. But let me read this passage, and, and Steve, I think it, it really relates to what we're talking about. But Paul wrote, to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. He's saying, in other words, if, if his preference was to be there in person to tell them what it means to believe, to yep. explain the aspects of believing. And we recognize that believing is not merely head knowledge, but it's the way we live, it's the way we behave. The way we speak, the way we think, the way we act, the way we love, the way we care, the way we forgive, all those things, the way we behave. But he says here, in case I can't get there, I'm giving you this letter, which gives you some instructions on how to know how to behave where? In the church, which is the pillar and bulwark of the truth. It isn't up to you or I or every individual to decide for themselves what it means to believe or behave. For that, Christ gave us his body. Yep. the church. Yep. And so for our viewers and our listeners, those that are watching us on the internet, I mean, the way to know how to believe, to behave, you need the full context of the church and her teaching. Exactly. That's why we have scripture and tradition. And just like Paul says, hold fast to the traditions that I left you. He didn't say hold fast to the scriptures, but to the traditions. This is both of these are there. And just like we had said earlier as we began this show, is that you and I both read this verse from a different tradition. And now, as Catholics, I realize that there has been one tradition that has been handed on from the very beginning, and it has been preserved within the Catholic Church. And so all of us are going to come to these verses with traditions. We just have to make sure it's the right tradition. Right. 
And in coming to the Catholic Church, I discovered that right tradition that had been taught from the apostles and the fathers and the doctors and the martyrs from the very beginning. And so it's very important to understand the church. I like it that you brought this up, Marcus, about the church being the pillar and foundation of the truth. Because in my former days, if you had asked me, what is the pillar and foundation of the truth? I would have said the Bible without even thinking about it. But it's the church. And the church is there to help us to understand the scriptures within their context. And we would have, in the old days, and you know, in our pre-Catholic days, we may have sat around a table with cups of coffee and, and from our different traditions argued about all kinds of aspects of John 3.16. You could spend a month of Sundays arguing over the meaning yep. of God, the meaning of the Son in the early days of the church. All the battles over the meaning of the divinity of Christ or, or the, the meaning of the Trinity. Or what does eternal life mean? Or when you perish, does that mean that a person who doesn't reach God in eternity will be immediately annihilated? Or will they spend eternity in hell? See, we used to believe that it was up to us individually to decide those answers. But we recognize that Christ didn't leave it up to us. He gave us a church. Yep. Any last thoughts for us as we close this program, Steve? Well, my my thoughts are that these verses that I memorized as a child, I think that we as Catholics ought to have our children memorize them. Yes. I think that the very fact that I'm sitting here talking to you today, Marcus, about verses that my mother had me memorize when I was seven years old, and they had such a profound impact on my life. I think that we as Catholics ought to make sure that our children are memorizing verses, that they have verses that are memorized. And yes, in order to memorize John 3.16, you you, you can't memorize the whole third chapter, but we should memorize these verses and understand the context. And this is what we should talk about, about around the family table for dinner. We should be talking to our kids about Scripture and the meanings of these. And I think it's so crucial because understanding that these are the verses that have shaped my whole life, and it was my mother and father that taught them to me while I was still at frogs in my pockets, you know, playing baseball. This is what we need to do with our families if we're going to see them grow up and become members of the kingdom of God. And I think some Catholics are hesitant to do that because they saw that the Protestant example is often that people will take verses and and make them mean a lot of different things. But as long as we're helping them memorize these verses in the context of our Catholic teaching, then they will then understand these scriptures in relationship to the wider sacred tradition. Right. And I think we've given the book away to the Protestants, and we need to remind ourselves that this is our book. This book came through the Catholic Church. It is a Catholic book. It's our family heirloom, and our children need to know the family story. All right, Steve. Hey, thanks for joining us on Deep in Scripture. And uh, I want to remind the audience of your books, Upon This Rock, and also your, your Gospel of John commentary. And, and uh, oh, what was your first book? Crossing the Tiber, That's my conversion right. story. Of course, your book on your conversion. Yeah. So God bless you in all that you're doing for the Lord, and uh, thanks for joining us, Steve. Glad to be here. And all of you, thank you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. I encourage you again to tune in to EWTN for the Journey Home program on Monday nights, as well as the other times it's rebroadcast, as well as this program. You go to deepinscripture.com to find out more about this program, as well as the Coming Home Network International. God bless you. It is always a pleasure to study scripture with you. See you again next week.